if you are new here, we're glad that you're here. Uh, you're not overlooked or forgotten. We're, we're super honored by your presence. There are some connect cards in the seat backs in front of you and even some little QR codes on the armrests. And so you can fill it out analog or digital. We would just love to know that you're with us. We'd love to connect with you and tell you more about our church. And even if it's your first time, you're welcome to come to the Discover class this afternoon. Uh, but more than anything, uh, we're just, we just want you to hear us say that we're glad that you're with us this morning. We're here to celebrate Jesus. Um, if you are joining us, uh, you're diving in kind of in the middle of a series we've been in. I think this is our fourth week now. Um, as we're kind of walking through portions of First and Second Samuel, looking at the life of David. And this morning we're going to be back uh, in First Samuel chapter 18. So you can turn in your Bible there and we'll read this section in just a minute. Um, but I want to start with this question. If, if I were to ask you to name the most fundamental sins, the ones that lead to all the others, I wonder what sins immediately come to your mind. We'd probably quickly get to sins like anger, lust, pride for sure, right? That was the sin in the garden. Maybe greed, gluttony. Maybe you even think of sloth. Traditionally, these sins are six of what have been called the seven deadly sins. Do you know the one that I didn't mention? It's the sin of envy. This morning, we're going to focus in on this sin of envy. We don't often think of envy the same way we may think of some of these other sins. Uh, a pastor of a large church said regarding the sin of envy, almost never has someone come up to me and said, I have a problem with envy. He said, over the years I've had people come up to me and say, I have a problem with anger or I'm struggling with depression or any other litany of sins. And he says, but almost never someone comes up to me and says, I have a problem with envy. Nobody ever comes up and says, hey, you should do a sermon series on envy. We don't tend to see envy as that big of a deal. And yet what we see in the story of David is that it is. What we find here in beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and really carrying the next several chapters is that the sin of envy eats King Saul alive. It owns him. It, it ruins his life and it very literally nearly takes David's life. So I want to read uh, a portion of the text together and then I want to dive in really considering this idea of envy this morning. Why it's such a problem and what do we do about it? So let's read 1 Samuel 18. Let's pick up in verse 5. It says this. David marched out with the army and was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which pleased all the people and Saul's servants as well. As the troops were coming back, when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy, and with three-stringed instruments. 
As they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul was furious and resented this song. They credited tens of thousands to David, he complained, but they only credited me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. The next day, an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul, and he began to rave inside the palace. David was playing the lyre as usual, but Saul was holding a spear, and he threw it, thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David got away from him twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. Therefore Saul sent David away from him and made him commander over a thousand men. David led the troops and continued to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. But Saul observed that David was very successful and he dreaded him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Sorry, a word cut out there. So here we catch a glimpse of envy in the life of Saul. We recall that Saul, when he was chosen as king, is described as a head taller than everyone. Saul, really, for, for most of his life, has been the largest and most impressive person in the room. And thus far, that had sort of worked for him. He had been successful in his military campaigns. And by the looks of things, Saul should have been confident and secure. He was the king after all. And yet what we find in this scene is that Saul is anything but confident and secure. David had recently slain the giant Goliath. And as a result, the word is spreading about David. He's gaining popularity among the people of God. Verse 5 says that David was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. David had the Midas touch. Just like whatever David did, he was successful in it. He seemed to prosper in it. And so one day as they come back from a military campaign, another successful campaign, the, the people come out and the women begin to sing and celebrate the victory. And the song that they're singing is, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. David his his myriads. And Saul didn't like this song at all. The irony, of course, is that the direct beneficiary of all of David's success was Saul. Saul should have been elated at David's success. But he wasn't because he couldn't handle the fact that David was more popular than him. The praise of David ate him up. Verse 8 says that Saul was furious. He was furious because he was envious. Tim Challies describes envy this way. He says, envy is a personal and visceral response to the success of of other people. It is comparing ourselves to others and forming our identity around that comparison. 
Challies goes on. He says, at its fullest bloom, envy is not just wanting the success of another person for ourselves, but also wanting that person not to have it. It is not just wanting to avoid personal catastrophe, but wishing catastrophe upon someone else. It is a sin that combines jealousy, hatred, and theft into an ugly, chaotic whole. And that's what we're going to see here in this passage. I want us to notice the progression of envy in this story. It starts with comparison. Saul begins to compare himself to David. It's not enough that Saul had had his own successes. He begins to compare his successes to David's successes and the acclaim that 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 success has brought him. Notice what he says here. They credited tens of thousands to David, he complained, but they only credited me with thousands. And so Saul Saul becomes furious, not simply because David was successful, but because David was more successful in the eyes of other people than he was. He's upset that David's successes are getting recognized more than his own. Saul wants the acclaim and the attention that David is getting. He's caught up in the comparison game. You ever found yourself there? You ever found yourself there in the comparison game? Listen, when we find ourselves comparing ourselves to someone else, it's it's a siren. It's a signal flag that envy is lurking. Because Because comparison nearly always gives birth to desire. That's what happens in Saul's life. He starts with comparing his life to David, and that comparison leads to covetousness. Saul doesn't just compare himself to David. He burns for David's fame. He's jealous. Notice verse 9. So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. Saul had a jealous eye toward David. He became obsessed with David's life because he desired it. He wanted David's popularity. He wanted David's success. And do you see what this begins to do in the life of Saul? First, it blinds him. That's what envy does. Envy blinds you. It eclipses your view of everything good you do have because all you can see is what you don't have. All you can see is what someone else has that you don't. And so envy begins to rob Saul of contentment. You'll you'll never be satisfied until you have what someone else has. Saul's so focused on the life of David that he can't see any of what he has himself. And this discontentment robs Saul of gratitude and thankfulness. Saul was the king of Israel. He he, He had more wealth and more power at his disposal than anyone else in the kingdom. And yet he was envious of one of his soldiers. Why? Because Saul had become blind to all of the things in his life that he had because he was focused on only what David had. Envy blinds you. But it also robs you of peace. Envy inevitably leads to enmity. It it led Saul not only to to covet, but to resent David. Verse 9 says that Saul 
was furious and resented this song, this song that the women were singing, that Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. But he doesn't just resent the song, he resents the one who the song is about. He, he despises David. His envy becomes vitriolic and, and violent. And as the story goes on, as you begin to read in chapters 19 through 24, what you find is that Saul actually begins to imagine David's demise. And that imagination actually gives birth to violence. His violent thoughts lead to violent actions. And at this point, envy has gone from comparison to desire to control. Envy is now controlling his life dominating him. And this is true really of any sin left untouched. Sin is like leaven. Given enough time, it spreads and it grows. Notice verses 10 and 11. It says, the next day an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul and he began to rave inside the palace. David was playing his lyre as usual, but Saul was holding a spear and he threw it, thinking I'll pin David to the wall. But David got away from him twice. And so Saul was afraid of David. This envy has so consumed Saul that in a moment of rage, he actually takes a spear and he throws it at David's head. Now, I realized as I was preparing this sermon that this is now the second time we've come across this language of an evil spirit being sent from God. And the first time I didn't address it, and so I think I better address it this time. We read this and we go, what in the world is this, right? An evil spirit sent from God. How do we understand this? How do we make sense of this? This word translated evil, at least in my translation, is the word ra'ah. And in the ESV, it's translated harmful. We, we, we struggle for a, a good English equivalent for this word. It really takes on its particular meaning in the passage that it's used in. And, and it's perhaps best translated in this passage as terrifying. That God sent a terrifying spirit to Saul. We, I say that because we notice that it says first that Saul feared David. Verse 12, he was afraid of David. And then in verse 15, it says that he dreaded him. The spirit causes dread of David. And what some theologians believe is that how this spirit functions is that it's, it's a source of amplification in the heart and in the soul of Saul. That the spirit isn't, isn't causing the evil in Saul. It's, it's amplifying the evil that's already there. It's amplifying the most dominant emotion in Saul's life and bringing it out even further. Pastor Tim Keller points out that, that the Bible consistently teaches us that the worst judgment God can give someone is to hand them over to themselves. It's to give them over to their own vices. God says you... You think that you want this. Okay. It's to give them over to what's already inside of them. 
And so when this tormenting spirit comes on Saul, what it's doing is it's pressing out of him what's already in his heart. And what was in Saul's heart was dread of David, envy of David, fear of David. And it's like putting pressure on a pimple. The envy that was festering in Saul's heart when pressed upon by this spirit bursts forth with jealousy and violence. realize that's maybe a grotesque illustration. <laughs> it's the best I could come up with. What can, I have teenage boys, all right? <laughs> Keller says it this way. He says, there is no greater punishment for envy than more envy. And that's what God gives Saul. And through this harmful spirit, God exposes and amplifies what was already in Saul's heart until what comes out is literal violence. He gives him over to envy and Saul takes a spear and hurls it at David. And eventually what results is that that David is forced to go into hiding. David has to go on the run. And the next several chapters of 1 Samuel are David in the wilderness, running from Saul. And the reason why David has to run is because envy has now completely consumed Saul's life. It controls him. And this is what sin does. If we don't deal with sin, it will take us over. We are foolish to think that we can domesticate our sin. What the Bible is repeatedly showing us and telling us is that sin is not a domesticated animal. It will consume us. It will ruin us. We may think it's harmless, but sin is like cancer. And if it's untreated, it will metastasize and spread. And that's what happens in the life of Saul. And so if this story is warning us of the danger of envy, I think the question we feel here is how do we avoid it? Well, before we answer that question, I I first want to try to answer the question of what's the opposite of envy? What's the opposite of envy? In Romans 12, 15, the Apostle Paul exhorts believers to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. You see how envy is the exact opposite of that? So envy says, when you rejoice... When you're victorious, when you're successful, I weep because I want what you have. And when you mourn, when you fail, I rejoice in your failure. That's envy. And the Apostle Paul says we're called to live the exact opposite. We're called to enter into the pain of another and to mourn with them. And we're called to enter into the celebration and the rejoicing of those who are successful and rejoice with them. And so instead of fuming with jealous comparison and desire when someone has a victory, Paul says we should enter into their celebration. And instead of secretly rejoicing at their downfall, Paul says we're to weep with them. Tim Challey says the opposite of envy is finding joy in the success of other people and feeling sorrow in their failure. The opposite of envy is rejoicing, especially in the success of the people who received the accolades we would like for ourselves, who took home awards we believe we deserved, 
who garnered praise for accomplishments much like our own. The opposite of envy is feeling true sorrow at the failures of a person in the same field as us or of a person who may be considered as a competitor. In a word, the opposite of envy is empathy. Instead of envy, we're called to be people of empathy. Entering into the emotional state of another. Now, how in the world do we do that, right? How in the world do we live this way? How do we live lives of empathy instead of envy? I think we catch two glimpses of it in the story. One in Jonathan and one in David. Let's first look at Jonathan. We looked at these verses actually last week, but I want to see them again. Look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 18. It says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as, he, as himself. And then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Jonathan was the heir apparent in Israel. When, when Saul died, Jonathan was the natural successor. There's a sense in which the throne was rightfully his. And so he could have viewed David much like his father, as a threat. He could have joined Saul in trying to hunt David down. He could have looked at David with a jealous eye. But when it says that he gave his robe and his bow and his sword to David, what he's basically saying to David is, David, I bow to you. Instead of fighting for the throne, I rejoice in your ascendancy to the throne. He rejoiced in God's choice of David. Jonathan stepped aside so that the rightful king could ascend, and he did it gladly. The biblical word for this is humility. Humility has been described as the freedom of self-forgetfulness. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. While envy is to be self-consumed, humility is to be self-forgetful. That's what we see here in Jonathan. All right, now let's look at David. We have to skip ahead a few chapters to 1 Samuel 24. David is on the run from Saul. He's literally hiding out in what's called the strongholds in the wilderness of Ziph. Those strongholds are caves. So David's hiding from cave to cave as Saul and his men are in pursuit of David. And it's sort of a humorous situation here. Saul has to relieve himself. He has to go to the bathroom. And so he finds the nearest cave. And little does Saul know that in this cave are David and his men. And David's men, when they see this scene transpiring, tell David, David, God has delivered Saul into your hands. Now's your shot, dude. Take him out at his weakest, right? Saul has no clue that David is there. And they believe, David's men do, that this is a gift from God. But David doesn't take his life. He doesn't, he doesn't act in vengeance. What he does is he cuts the corner of Saul's robe. And once Saul has left the cave and he's across the hill, David calls out to Saul. 
And he tells him, you can see with your own eyes that the Lord handed you over to me today in the cave. And someone advised me to kill you, but I took pity on you and I said, I won't lift my hand against my Lord since he is the Lord's anointed. David showed mercy. And when it says, I took pity on you, the literal translation of that is, I looked compassionately on you. Earlier we noticed that envy is living with a jealous eye. Saul looked jealously at David. But David looked compassionately upon Saul. Even while his comrades are advising him to get his revenge, David was controlled by a deeper emotion. He was controlled by love. He looked upon Saul and he felt compassion. So how do we live our lives with empathy and not envy? What this story is telling us is that we have to be controlled by love. Something deeper than selfishness has to dominate our being. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul says, For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion, that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Paul says the love, of tri- the love of Christ compels us. Another way of translating that is the love of Christ constrains us or, or controls us. And so what Paul is saying is that, that Christ's love is now the controlling factor in his life. That Paul's life is dominated, it's controlled, it's constrained, it's steered, it's guided by something deeper than, than what's natural. He's supernaturally guided by the love of Jesus. And notice the result. Paul says, as a result of Christ's love, I no longer live for myself. I live for Jesus. He wasn't self-consumed. He was self-forgetful. His focus became living for Christ. And so he was freed to live in humility in the service of the anointed king. He was freed to step aside and to say, Jesus, the throne is yours. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. See, if you make your life about you, listen to me. If you make your life about you, envy is inevitable. You'll find yourself lost in the spiral of comparison that leads to desire, that leads to resentment. And you'll spend your life consumed with what you don't have, what you wish you had, and how you deserve to have what so-and-so has that you don't. This sort of self-consumption spiral never leads to joy. Never. And what the gospel offers us is liberation from our self-obsession. It offers freedom to live for something greater than selfish ambition. When the gospel takes root in your life, the Holy Spirit focuses your eyes on Jesus, God's true anointed king. And you you lay down your crown so that he can ascend the throne. You rejoice in his rulership. And love becomes your dominant emotion. 
Jesus' love is poured into your heart and it begins to empower you to love others, to look at other people with compassion, even those like Saul who are your enemies. The love of Christ compels us. Let's pray. Father, we are aware that it is natural in us, in our flesh, to be self-consumed. And so easy, God, it is for us to begin to play the comparison game. To desire what others have, to think that we deserve to have more than someone else. And that sort of thinking leads to resentment, which actually leads to enmity and strife in our relationships, all because we're just caught in this death spiral of self-obsession. You're inviting us to live a different way. It's the way of Jesus who did not think of himself, but emptied himself to serve us. God, I pray that the love of Christ would control us, that we would be liberated to live lives of empathy, that our lives would be marked by the dominant emotion of love and marked by a self-forgetfulness that oozes out in humility. We need your spirit for this, God, and so we pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.